Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and yeah, I've got a slightly raspy voice today. Hope you don't mind, but you can check out all the other stuff we're doing at Blister if you just head over to blisterreview.com. And today we are talking about a recyclable ski. This is a new ski from Rosignol, and the ski is simply titled Essential. And my guest is David Bouvier, who has been with Rosignol in a number of different capacities for a very long time. And David has been instrumental from the concept of this ski essential through its development. And as you'll hear in this conversation, this isn't the first time that David has really pushed the ski industry to think about, well, what the future of skiing could look like. And I will make a confession here right up front. When I first heard about this ski, I have to admit that I was fairly skeptical, wondered if this was a bit of a gimmick. And for those of you who maybe are as skeptical in general as I am, uh, you should definitely listen to this conversation because I now have a much better understanding of Rosignol's vision, not just for this ski, but for where things might go from here. And I think this is a pretty compelling vision for the ski industry. And just one more thing. I'm now recording this introduction here in France. Uh, it is Friday afternoon, but I'm eight hours ahead of you, uh, at least those of you in North America. But I have actually now, since I recorded the conversation with David, had the opportunity to ski the essential ski for two different days here over the last two days. And for now, I will just say that uh, I can back up a bit some of the claims that David is going to make here about the performance of this ski. We will, of course, be talking about this ski and writing full reviews of the ski. Uh, that will be to come. But for those of you who are curious, I am ready to vouch for some of the claims that David is actually making about the performance of this ski. And with that, let's go ahead and get to my conversation with David Bouvier. Here we go. Well, I am very pleased to be sitting here in the office of David Bouvier and very happy to be here. We'll ask a couple quick questions here. David, talk about your position with the Rosignol Group. I'm a marketing director for uh, mountain sport equipment at Rosignol that is regrouping, uh, let's say, uh, the winter side. So I'm overseeing the, the alpine uh, offer, skis and binding, and managing uh, the snowboard, uh, the technical equipment, that means uh, helmet, bags, goggles, poles. And uh, I'm also managing the business unit of mountain bike, which is really exciting. Mm. And the goal behind that is truly to have all the equipment side of the brand uh, being under one umbrella and built, uh, let's say, a 360 days offer experience for the consumer, trying to link all this uh, dot together to provide the best equipment, the best gear, and the best, uh, the best fun. I said we're sitting here in your office, but why don't you tell people a bit more about where we are and where this pretty impressive building is located? So uh, we are at the Rosignol Group headquarter that is based in um, uh, Moiron, Saint-Jean-de-Moiron, uh, 10 kilometers from Voiron. That was uh, the historic uh, location for Rosignol. Mm -hmm. uh, Abel Rosignol was uh, a wood craftsman, carpenter, mm -hmm. working uh, and be passionate about ski. And he started here, 10 kilometers uh, away. And like this new headquarter is now, uh, let's say, 10 years old, I would say. Uh, and it's a fantastic facilities where you have let, uh, all the the marketing, R&D, commercial, all the racing atelier, uh, 
that is located in one building mm -hmm. and uh, that makes our life so easy and in the earth of the Alps, and, uh, close to our playgrounds. And this is the best place to be when you're a skier. It was interesting getting clear on some of my Rossignol history, but also the history of skiing in this area. And because Rossignol, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but 1907, I think, is our established date. But I was having some conversations with people earlier today. Ski resorts, I don't think, were formed in this immediate area until maybe the 1950s. So was Rossignol producing skis in that window of 1907 to 1950? In 1907, uh, so the brand is like uh, 115 years old now. So in 1907, Abel Rossignol was a passionate. And uh, you don't need uh, to be living in a ski resort to be passionate about ski. Mm -hmm. Right? As we know. The terrain is around. Yeah. And I think it started like that with passionate people. And it still is right now. So, uh, of course, you're able to uh, travel a bit to go ski. Uh, and the community was already growing at these early ages, I would say. Everything was uh, under construction. Mm -hmm. I could feel the energy, still feel the energy 115 years later. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, like uh, it was, uh, I think, all uh, growing and merging together with uh, incredible uh, champions, of course, uh, that help also Abel Rossignol to build their first skis. Well, from there, let's maybe talk about one of Rossignol's newest skis right? And this is a project that you had a whole lot to do with. And this ski is called the Essential. Why don't we start with where the concept for this ski began? How long ago? So uh, I would say seven years ago, we, we met with um, a crushing company. Okay. Uh, and you know, in a uh, in, in Rosignol, we have what we are calling uh, innovation and research. And those are a group of people that are working for the next 10, 20 years, mm -hmm. right? So uh, exploring new materials, exploring new solutions, uh, that is ski, binding, boots, whatever, right? This is where the innovation starts in a way. So a uh, long time ago, the, we met this crushing company called MTB and uh, they were into recycling. And we sat down together and like, again, speaking about passionate people together, and we thought about the challenge to make a recyclable ski. As simple as that, right? Let's, let's do it. Let's try. After five to seven years, we learned a lot. Okay, we learned a lot on the materials, we learned a lot on the process, and all of a sudden, the ski is more or less ready to go to the next phase of development. And now comes the, let's say, the vision of a, 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 a product that could be on the market. So two years from now, we started developing, I, I would say, on an industrial level, what could a ski like that be? Again, it's easy to make a prototype. I'd not say easy, but like you can make a prototype. Make a prototype. But make a, a series of skis, having the, the factory aligned with what you want to do. It's a, another step and it's always a big step, right? Because then you need to commit a lot of people, a lot of stakeholders uh, from the purchase department, from the logistic, from the industry from, you know, like the Ansno test, everything goes together to give one direction. So, so we started two years ago from, from now, right? Uh, and, uh, and now we are at a stage where the product is ready and uh, we are really, I mean, happy at the same time, a bit proud, but also humble <laughs> because uh, we still have a lot to learn and a lot to develop in this in that space it's just the beginning see if i have this correct 
five to seven years ago was the thought of, could we make a recyclable ski? And then you started getting in the ballpark about two years ago. And now today, we're at a place with the essential ski where you like where you are, I guess, from both a recyclable point of view and a performance point of view? Yes. Uh, I mean, it's our DNA. We are Rosignol. If we go with a product on the market, we need to be at our standards, right? Uh, in terms of durability, in terms of performance. Those are basics we have in our everyday product that we are developing. So there is a there is these norms, internal norms that are above the regular ones. This is why uh, what Rosignol is well known for, right? The quality of the product. So, so this is all the the ambition and the challenge behind the project to make a ski that is recyclable, that is uh, going to be to have a positive impact on the change, uh, but at the same time being a Rosignol ski with the right level of performance the right level of durability, etc., etc. But what I would like to, to, to add, you know, when we, when we started to work on this project, we, we came to the, let's say, to the conclusion, analyzing also what, what's happening to the skis at the end of life. For you to know, um, a ski is considered as a household waste. So it means like you just go, you throw it in the garbage. What we know in France, but I would say maybe worldwide average is about the same, but what we know in France, 80% of the skis that are throw away are uh, being put under the earth, you know, like- uh, Landfill. Landfill, like, like a household waste. Yeah. So 20% of those products are going to a recycle um, channel. But a regular ski is 7% recyclable. Seven. 7% recyclable. Any kind of ski average, right? I'm speaking average, yeah. okay? What do we do? We take the steel, we take the aluminum from the ski. So it's about the 7% I'm speaking about. And everything else, you can't separate you can't separate the wood from the plastic from uh, everything you just crush and you can burn it and you can bring value to this waste by burning it right so this is what is existing let's say on the market our challenge was to make a ski with the highest recyclability rate as possible and right now the ski we are going to market with the essential ski is 77% recyclable. So from 7% average to 77%. Hmm. It means that we had to work on the process. How do I build a ski that is recyclable? What are the right components? What is the right process, industrial process, for the materials to be separated, to be crushed? And then you can really separate the wood, from the steel, from the plastic, and all those components, individually speaking, are now entering um, open channels, uh, circular economy. Mm -hmm. So this is truly the change, right? Compared to a traditional product to this new essential one. So it's from process to life cycle management to end of life. Before we go further yep. into the specifics of this ski, I realized, I mean, I had a chance to meet you in Snowbird, actually. Yep. Was that in March? Uh, yes, late March, late March, early April. Okay. And I want to just back up for a second because you have quite an extensive history on product development. And typically on Gear 30, we don't actually talk to a lot of marketing people. We want to talk to the people who were really in the weeds, in the design details on product. So maybe it's worth, I think, backing up for a minute and just talk about how long you have actually been here at Rosignol and talk a bit about your product design history or the roles you've had over the years. I grew up skiing. Um, I met some racing. Uh, I was uh, I was uh, not the best at racing, but I, I took my part. Right, I had a good fun. 
<laughs> and um, I started to uh, jump here and there. Uh, all my friends were turning snowboarder. Uh-huh. I was uh, skateboarding in the summer. And all of a sudden, I, I just decided to uh, stop racing and start jumping, I would say. And in Chanrousse, uh, we were just a crew of friends mixing ski and snowboard. It was in the 90s, I think. Um, and I would say uh, I was not too bad. I could express myself. Mm. I could have this terrain vision, trying new tricks, uh, new jumps, trying to land forward, backwards, sorry. But like a twin tip did not exist yet, mm-hmm. right? At these uh, this early ages. So uh, this is where, uh, you know, uh, my, my, my friends, snowboard friends, uh, came to Rosignol and asked if I could have a free pair of ski, as simple as that. So they were in the Rosignol snowboard team. Huh. I was just with them, jumping, making black flips, and uh, they decided to sponsor me. So the snowboard guys were sponsoring a ski guy. <laughs> That's, uh, that, was, they- that was the funny part. The snowboard guys were sponsoring a ski guy. So did the snowboard people at Rosignol just steal a pair of skis when no one was no. looking? No, no, no. They were just like, hey, we have a good friend. Huh. Uh, he's around with us. He deserves to have a free pair of ski because we have balls and we are all together. And it was at the same, you know, uh, same time where a skier magazine was uh, um, uh, starting mm-hmm. and uh, this whole free ski community was starting to be worldwide, mm-hmm. right? No organization mm-hmm. yet. So it, it was just a natural move. But uh, because I was in this, uh, let's say, generation yeah. uh, of people, as simple as that. So then uh, I had the chance to to uh, to be a pro skier for a couple of years until 1999, right? And uh, I really saw the sport growing. I had a chance to travel. I had a chance to meet all the legend of the sports, GP Auclair, GF Cusson, Tanner Hall. I mean, I was like, wow, it's, uh, it's fantastic. But we could really feel the energy, right, of of this like like something was burning it was like poof, so passionate so i saw the sports growing i had my little networks of course i knew a lot of photographers a lot of cines uh, worldwide like uh, johnny the Caesary, chris o'connell all these guys the mcmurray from uh, uh, msp all these guys so Naturally speaking, I told Rossignol, hey, guys, maybe I would like to grow in the company. So uh, if you are ready to to organize a team, I could be your team manager for Frisky. And it started like that. Very naturally speaking, again, I was young, passionate, wanted to help the sport to grow at my level, humble level. So I started like that. And uh, a year after, because uh, I knew that we were missing product. I could feel that as a, as a rider, hmm. as or ex-rider. Mm-hmm. I could feel that we needed like wider skis with uh, twin tips. Uh, I was with, uh, again, in the team, we had a Tanner Hall, uh, Boyd Isley, even Raps, Philou uh, mm-hmm. Poirier, all those guys. And they were just like asking for such product. And uh, this is where I entered, I entered the, 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 the product design side of, of it. And uh, we made this little uh, project and we launched the Scratch, mm-hmm. the Scratch Keys, which was my first baby, I would say, uh, with a Scratch BC, Scratch FS, Scratch FS being ni- 80 on the foot, Scratch uh-huh. BC being 90 on the foot, the widest Super twin tip wide, skis, right? Yeah. So again, we had free hands and uh, 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 I really liked the way Rosignol gave us a chance. Like, like I think that at this stage, Rosignol really act as an incubator. Hey, there is an idea. Look at this crew of guys. They have fun. Let's try. Let's give them the right resources, right? And it was really fun. And we were free to do what we wanted to do. And we had great success. Lucky us. But the team was strong and... Everybody was friends. It's pretty simple when it's like that, right? So this is where I started product in 99, 2000s. uh, And still then I did not stop 
Mm-hmm. And so, yes, uh, I am in the marketing department, but uh, we are a product marketing team, yep. more than a communication marketing team, if you wish. That's a good way to put it. I will say, personally, I can sometimes find it a bit frustrating when marketing people don't seem to be intimately familiar with product. And I guess that's just a fair way to say that it would be kinder of me if I thought about some marketing people are kind of marketing slash communications and some are closer to the product development side. And then also thinking about how do we articulate what we just designed and built, right? So I should be nicer is basically what I just learned right now. What I would say is, you know, you you need everything, right? You need, you need, you need, to organize everything the right way because uh, uh, I could not imagine a sports company not making good product, whatever the sports. The the product marketing approach is very essential in a way because you need to come with the right design, the right graphic expression, the right usage, the right functions. And this is where the the marketing product is really meant to be, uh, you know, bringing some value. You have to connect the R&D on one side that comes with very strong innovation. Uh, but what is the right innovation to do, right? It's always a level of uh, where you put the curse, where you put the ambition, what the consumer is expecting for function, for usage. On the other hand, you need your consumer to know about that. As simple as that, you need to tell the story. So this is where it's a real combination of product on one side, communication on the other. And as you know, as me, like you are Blister, a digital platform. And uh, 10 years ago, you were nothing, (laughs) right? And things are moving, but like uh, you're more into the new approach of, uh, you know, communicating around product. Yes, we still do product, but then there is some channels yeah. that are new, with new skills, with new way to tell about everything. So it's just, it's, I mean, it's working together. It's a chain. When it's done well, I think it's working together. Okay, back to the essential ski. I'm really glad I asked you for that backstory because I knew a good bit of that. I asked you about some of that when we were in Utah. But what's cool about it is I had not connected the dots between when you started in on product, you guys were all literally trying to develop skis that did not exist, right? And now we're talking about a recyclable ski. And honestly, the first time I heard about it, I think my snap judgment was like, is this a gimmick? Which is probably the reaction some people had back in 1999, early 2000s, when we were talking about twinned up tails. We don't need that. Skiing is fine. Just get back on the skis with flat tails. It's fine. So you've personally been through and lived through a version of the world where it's like, hey, no, we're not just making a subtle side cut tweak. We're trying to get to something that literally doesn't exist yet. Um, And here we are again. So let's dive in a bit more to some of the details of the essential ski. How wide is this ski uh, might be a good place to start. And along the way, maybe we can look to get an answer to that snap thought I had when I first heard of it. Like, is this not just a gimmick? Okay. So start basic though, width. So the essential ski is a pissed ski that is 70 under foot. 70. Yeah. Yes, it's a thin ski that is uh, very good for unpissed skiing. Um, and that has a short radius of, let's say, 13 meters for size 166. Okay. Right? So it's a shortcut product that goes unpissed, that performs, uh, I mean, extremely well. Right, the level is not for the experts. It's not for the World Cup racers, obviously. But those are for good skiers, uh, skin tricks tools that would like to have a uh, and like to have a, a unique product to ski on at the right performance. But the most important, the people that we are targeting are people that are ready for the change. Mm-hmm. People who are ready for the change. Change the world, 
being conscious of what's happening and want to act on a positive way when this key, right? So the product is one thing. The What we are developing around is the most important, I would say. By the way, we should also say, I mean, this comes up from time to time on Gear 30 and on Blister. And I think many people know this, but we'll just make this clear for those who don't. There are many, many European skiers who only ski on piste, right? And so if someone is back in North America listening to this, and this sounds like a very niche ski, it's just not true, right? I mean, piste ski stays the biggest part of the market yeah. by far. By far. Uh, and again, in Noram, most people ski on ski. What's different is the waist width, mm -hmm. right? So when we ski 1,700 foot, around 1,700 foot in Europe, the same, let's say, usage in Noram is going to be around 80. But still, most of the guys, most of the people, most of the consumer are on piste. That's the reality. Yeah. The waist width change, the profile change, the way of ski change, but most of the people are on piste. So why did we start with this? I got your point. Yeah. Uh, we have to start somewhere, right? So we, we question ourselves. If we start with a 80 or 90 underfoot product, some people will ask me, hey, why don't you do yeah. a 70? Yeah. If I start with a 70, hey, why don't you do a 90? Guys, we have to start somewhere. The goal is to learn. The goal is to be humble, right? It's not perfect. We just are moving, moving and increasing and increasing our skills. So um, we are going to launch this project mainly, this product mainly in Europe for year one. This is also why we decided to focus on this typology of project. Yep. But as you can imagine, we already have plans to move forward and to develop. And like our vision is really to grow into this eco-consciousness approach of a ski uh, in the next five years you could imagine having like 30% of the Rosignol offer being into this approach of uh, uh, life cycle management, eco-consciousness uh, development. So yeah, in sum, for anybody listening who thinks 70 millimeters wide, that's awfully niche. First of all, globally speaking, that's just not true right? I want to kind of start there. It's not niche, right? <laughs> you're like, you're no, looking I, at you. It, of course. This I mean, is where people ski. And, absolutely. And if someone's like, where's my 100 millimeter wide, 110 millimeter wide recyclable ski, those people are actually asking the niche question. I don't, I, yes. I mean, worldwide. 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 We're talking worldwide. Yes. Sheer numbers. Yep. Absolutely. But uh, it does not mean they not deserve such a yeah. product, right? No, we're gonna get we're gonna get there. You know, we'll we'll do this again in five years or something. I want to talk about the biggest design challenges of this, right? We said basically this took something like five to seven years from concept to where we are today. What were the hardest things about making a ski that is seventy seven percent recyclable? First of all. You know, you have to uh, put yourself into the, the state of mind, right? Truly, the hardest challenge is to be conscious as a group of what's happening outside. What's happening with climate change? What's happening with the, the, the world we are living in? We are all under this uh, eco-anxiety situation. You are, I am. I mean, right? We don't need to lie to each other. Everybody's like that. And those last couple of months or the last two years are even worse for the majority of us. So, so this is the, 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 to me, that's the hardest challenge for everybody to really be, let's say, aware, sharing, what is difficult for us on a personal living. And, you know, when we sat down the first time with the team, the project team we were uh, starting to work with around this project, 
we discussed like a very intimate on an intimate way and then we realize that we are all facing the same anxiety right and then you just need to answer if it's not me then who if it's not now then when ask yourself the question i ask myself the question i have the answer i had the chance to have a project in my hand that could that i could really give a purpose to and everybody around the table was the same and then the energy was so like you know big that everybody wanted to to bring his part to be part of it whatever you are a financial guy a r&d guy a purchase department guy industry guy then i mean everybody was like on it happy to do it give a real sense to the regular daily basis job maybe very passionate but then you have this purpose on top of it and uh once you do that once you break the wall everything goes yes we have challenge yes we had a lot of challenge in the process right um because we had the solution for the recyclability we were working with uh this uh, crushing manufacturer mtb that was having also solutions but you know it's kind of a new ecosystem when things are going together and feeding one to the other then it gives a real meaning a real sense so uh so first big challenge was the state of mind yeah. everybody aligned everybody let's say uh, humble about our personal situation and it, honestly it's a lot and the second step was of course how can i from a prototype how can i make a ski that will uh, would make uh, big volumes or big enough volumes for uh, as many people as possible mm-hmm. to enjoy uh, skiing in a in a less impactful way if i can say that yeah okay so i get your point about the first hardest step was getting product people who are probably typically used to thinking about well i imagine what are the best possible materials we can use in these products for to hit a certain price point that's what product people i would imagine are typically you know hired and or fired for if they're answering if they're you know how well they're answering or not answering those questions so here you get the team in the right space to do this and now let me ask it this way is it as simple as going or next step is the next step as simple as going to the crushing company and asking them what materials can we use that would still be recyclable here is that step 2 it was at the same time the step 2 mixed with what material on our side are performing that's the mix ski. that's the mix it's a combination of both right and at the same time what are the materials that uh, we could uh, uh, industrialized in the best possible way and again the f- the, the the way now we are looking product are based as usual on performance usage but there is a new element that is are that is becoming structural that is the life cycle analysis of the product so when we made our first uh, life cycle analysis uh, on traditional skis again we saw that 60 to 70% of our uh, uh, carbon footprint was due to raw materials that are entering the mm-hmm. construction of the product we saw that 25% of the carbon footprint is due to the energy right when you mold you need temperature etc so energy was representing 25% average and the, the 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 travel for us was only 5% like the shipping the shipping yeah. the logistic 5 to 9 maximum and the end of life the recyclable part was 3% 4% So can you see that 60% is the raw material at the same time when I recycle a ski 
it takes a little bit, but I don't recycle. I just burn, mm -hmm. as I explained to you before, yeah. or I crushed, yeah. or I put them into the ground. Yeah. So this big piece of the cake, the 60 to 70%, of I want them- Of raw materials. Yes, of raw material. I want them to be recycled. Yeah. I want them to enter a circular economy. That's the big piece of the cake. Then there is the energy. So what do you do? All our factories are now renewable energy certified. So it means that it's uh, no, um, uh, no energy from uh, um, petrol or gas. It's not from uh, nuclear. It's wind or hydro energy on all of our factories and it's a certification so at the same time we played on the 25 percent using um, certified green energy if you wish and other piece of the cake 60 to 70 percent of raw material now i can give value to that i can enter um, uh, a circular economy mm -hmm. and then the recycle that is only five to six percent of my carbon footprint this is where i put the value i will take value of that recyclable skis without increasing my carbon footprint it's already small you know what i mean so all together you have your ratio that are moving and this is this this new uh, this new pillar of development is now let's say uh taking into account since the beginning on every project that we do. Performance, durability, and carbon footprint. It's a new DNA, right? You're defining a new DNA, a new know-how of the brand. So I'm curious, there have to be certain materials that are commonly used in skis that you can't use if you're trying to make a circular economy out of a ski. So I'm just curious, like what elements or how many elements are kind of off the table? Like, well, we can't use that. We can't use that. We could use this. Is it as um, drastic as I might imagine? Or is it like, actually, there's not that many differences in the materials that we use? The... The materials we are using are more or less the same, right? Wood, steel, aluminum. Glue. Uh, glue. That would be a big question of mine. Yeah, glue, of course, right? But the process that we are developing is meant for the ski to be able to be uh, separate. Yeah. So there is a lot of materials that compared to traditional skis that we are not using, right? We are working, uh, what's the name? Sobriety. You know, like uh, uh, as less material as possible, as less component as possible. Sort of minimalism? or It's a minimalism okay. approach, right? Yeah. So we are using now seven huh. materials huh. where we were on a traditional ski using 15 to 20. Okay. Right? But it could be a small piece of something. Yeah. So there is this minimalism approach towards the um, articulated, I would say, around the life cycle uh, and carbon footprint uh, element. So this is how we, we select the right product, uh, knowing that, of course, again, quality, performance, we have our standards. So it's a new equation with a new parameter. Gotcha. Can you say a bit more about the specific, I guess you said we're down to seven materials. I'd love to hear what those seven are. So um, what you need to know um, um, when we speak about the end of life of the product, we are speaking about this 77 recyclability rate. Okay. But the product, the component, the materials that are entering the product, we have 62% of them, of those products that are certified or biosourced or recycled. So let's take a couple of examples. The base we are using is 80% recycled. 
at the beginning. The aluminium and the steels are about 20-30% recycled. The resin we are using is biosourced. The wood, it's poplar and beech, uh, are certified PEFC. And then there is some secret element, obviously, that I can't tell much about, but that are, let's say, um, in phase with the recycled or certified parameter. So 62% of the components are already into this eco-consciousness construction. And when you crush the ski, you can recycle 77% of it. So we are really playing on the two mm -hmm. uh, weight, the, 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 two, the two sides. And when we produce the ski, this is where we need energy. Yep. And obviously the energy is renewable. Yeah. So, you know, at every stage, mm. um, and of course, uh, we, don't, uh, we don't use any blister around the product, plastic blister, to, to pack the product. We have a new uh, specific paper, recycled paper, also for the logistic, right? Every pieces are taken into account. Yeah. That phrase, you said plastic blister? I've heard of the word blister before. Um, is this what we call shrink wrap? Yeah. Yeah, shrink wrap. Okay. You guys say blister? Wow. This is, this is the this You must is the think, word. you're like, why did this guy name the company shrink wrap? <laughs> never, okay. <laughs> That's not great. Okay. So, and, and that is, I'm happy to hear that. Because honestly, that's something that I find pretty frustrating. We get a lot of skis and a lot of equipment sent to Blister headquarters for us to test. And I'm just often like, why as an industry have we not at a minimum done packaging better? Who cares? Who cares? You don't care. I don't care. We should start shaming the people who really, really care to have... like. It's such a waste of materials often just in the shipping process and packaging process. So I'm happy to hear that. And I hope, I know many, many companies will be listening to this conversation. And I would just like to say like that point you made at the beginning about we just need to have companies make certain strong decisions. We're just not going to play this old game anymore. And consumers to also not expect their new ski to come through without a tiny little mark on the side. Did you agree with this? Uh, you know, I mean, what uh, the studies we've made is really clear. The consumer is already there. Huh. We are late. Huh. I can tell you, huh. we are late, collectively speaking. Huh. Consumer uh -huh. is already there. Huh. Just expecting for a brand to, to commit. Uh -huh. And this is the vision of our new, uh, you know, uh, direction here mm -hmm. a, a, as a group. Mm -hmm. So it's really, I mean, uh, it's really nice to be in this such a movement, positive movement. And again, knowing that it's not perfect yet. Mm -hmm. It will be even better in the couple of years, month, mm -hmm. right? We can't stop it. It's too late. Mm -hmm. Lucky us, friend. Mm -hmm. Lucky us, it's too late. Mm -hmm. Lucky us. <laughs> By the way, I, I have, um, even in the last year or two, I have found myself saying on certain Gear 30 podcasts, we, I think I raised this point at uh, our last Blister Summit, I think I was sort of diminishing a bit in some statements, um, you know, okay, this ski company or that ski company is making this improvement in terms of production, in terms of, say, packaging, whatever, um, a recyclable ski. And I thought, okay, that certainly isn't going to <laughs> save us or change, you know, the fate of the world in and of itself. But another thing I realized, because this has been happening to me a lot in the last month or so, and this has been happening for many years, but it's kind of picking up. There are many, many passionate skiers and mountain bikers out there who actually are working for massive companies. And they hear this. And what I think you are doing and explaining here, they get to go back to their respective industries 
And when they hear you say, um, I just heard this Gear 30 conversation and David was saying the consumer's already there, companies need to start thinking we will be behind the times. We, we will be viewed as part of the problem, not part of the solution. And it, it was an interesting uh, realization of mine. But I'm telling you, like, I talk to people in very high positions of different industries, not outdoor industry. And I think these people are listening and paying attention. And they are passionate skiers and bikers and people who love playing in the mountains like we do. And those things, I love the idea, actually. I kind of reversed my opinion on this. I think outdoor industry companies need to be companies leading the way because if we're not like <laughs> hey right? what's your playground yeah what's your playground right when yeah. do you have fun yeah when it's white okay yeah. Yeah. so i take my part we take our part we have to make it better the best we can we have to change it and as you said it's a collective one and i know <laughs> it's collective because as individual we are starting to act in our little comfort zone, trying to find the right space to improve here and there. I do it, you do it. And as you said, those people are working into other companies, yep. making other products, yeah. and everybody's taking conscious. Yep. This consciousness is here. And hopefully it will move fast because uh, there is a bit of a rush. There's a bit of a but rush. But it, I'm positive. So I clearly see the movement. Uh, this is what's behind uh, Essential, right? It's a product, but it's a movement. Mm -hmm. It's a collaborative movement. This is why we were working also with uh, the crushing company. It's a collaborative movement. Mm -hmm. This is why when I see, uh, uh, you know, like some distributors, uh, REI in NORAM, or when I see uh, Vail Resort taking like read, uh, sharing real uh, roadmap about their uh, impact, it's not a ski manufacturer alone, yeah, right? It's something right. bigger. That's right. And to be honest with you, the impact of ski into the big winter industry is not the biggest impact but still it is yeah right so everybody takes his part that's right and let's work together as simple as that right mm -hmm. no and i i find that inspiring and again for uh people working in all different sectors and all different industries we know they're they're taking their ski holidays too and the conversations that can come up and what they're seeing and, and seeing products or hearing about companies that are really revising um, their packaging practices, thinking harder about a circular economy, that, that just will resonate, right? If we think of skiing as a very aspirational sport, which I think it 100% is for all of us, regardless of our ability level. We're all looking at scary lines that's like, okay, I might not ski that today, but that's what we do. I haven't thought of this till right now, but I think we're talking about skiing being aspirational in a pretty different way um, that I think is pretty cool. Thanks for saying the new way of aspirational. <laughs> so we said... Uh, the Essential Ski will be first available around Europe, just in France, where... So, you know, you, you, the, the, the Essential Ski is going to be available worldwide. Hmm. Uh, we, will, uh, we will work with uh, dedicated partners. And as, you, as we shared earlier... It's a collaborative things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the partners we are going to work with are also in phase with our vision. Mm -hmm. We don't want the product to be just on the wall and that's it mm -hmm. with a price, mm -hmm. right? No, this is not our vision. Yeah. We have to, we have to, let's say, come. We, we are coming with a new standard. We need the consumer to really understand. We need the, the retailers and the partners we are working with to also help the story to grow, right? It's uh, it's a change. If you want to be an actor of this positive change, come and join the essential move. As simple as that. You're a consumer, you're a retailer. I mean, 
we are ready. We are ready to also grow with you, learn with you. Again, the most important collaboration. That's, that's what's behind the product. Collaboration. I think that is our answer. Thank you. I really appreciate our conversations and it, uh, it's fun to get you on this little gear 30 show of ours. So, um, yeah, I will let you get going now as I should looking forward to more conversations over the next several days. So thank you. It's really fun to be here. So thanks a lot, Jonathan. I really appreciate the time. Uh, always, uh, Always interesting to speak with you and to speak about product and uh, winter sports. Yeah. And the last time, I think I'm allowed to say this, the last time we were together, we were skiing some prototypes together and having some back and forth comments about what we thought. And uh, that's been really fun too, to hear from you and from people like AJ, who we might be talking with soon just about how you all think about product and design and some of the things we've learned over the years and some of our ways of thinking through these things. I've enjoyed our conversations a lot and really appreciate this new direction of a conversation because this is not one we've had before. So thank you. Right. Much welcome. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right. Well, it is time now for our weekly What We're Celebrating segment. And this week, well... I don't know. Maybe I just want to raise a glass to France. Uh, This has been my first visit to France ever. I don't know how it has taken so long, but it has been a remarkable time with incredibly good conversations with so many different people on such a range of topics. But I am feeling extremely grateful for the chance to be over here. It's basically kind of been like one very long Gear 30 podcast mixed in with some really ridiculous conversations over dinner. But then again, that maybe feels kind of Gear 30-esque in and of its own right. So um, let me just keep it somewhat simple here to say it's really been a remarkable first week here and our European trip is not done, not close. So... It's been wonderful meeting with thoughtful, passionate people who are equally passionate about skiing, this weird sport we like. And so um, later tonight, I'll be raising a glass to all of the people here who have been kind enough to put up with me and field my questions and the like. Thank you all so much. And that then brings us to the end of this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thank you to David for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from our entire Blister team, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again next week.